We were a uh, liturgical church, kind of a, you know, the high collar kind of church. Um, I would be up here right now, I'd light a candle to celebrate the beginning of what is called Advent. Um, And Advent has to do with when Jesus came to the earth. And they celebrate Advent in three ways. The first Sunday, he came to the earth as a baby. He was born, the Immaculate Conception. Amen. The second Sunday is he came into my heart and I was born again. The third Sunday is he's coming again. There's going to be a, another Advent. And the, this Advent is going to be very, very different. He was born behind the Holiday Inn of Bethlehem, a hotel that had no rooms available. No vacancy sign. He was born out back. Nobody knew what was going on. It was sort of hidden. But when he comes in the second advent, the trumpet's going to blow. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And those that know the Lord are going to be walking along and bang. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. In the sound of the last trump dead in Christ are going to rise first. And those who are alive and remain and walking around on the earth are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so it'll be the whole, every eye will see him and those who pierced him. So it'll be anything but hidden. But right now we're sort of beginning the first uh, the first Sunday in the Advent season. I'm not liturgical, but I just thought it was kind of cool to know that. All right? So today I'm going to talk to you about Christmas providence. I'm going to begin a Christmas series called Christmas High Points and Christmas providence. Now I'm going to start reading in Matthew 2, verse 7. I want us to see the providence of God working in the whole Christmas story. And I'll tell you what providence means in a moment. Now, it says, Then Herod called the Magi, that is the wise men, secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Everybody say not. Now he's a lying politician. I know that's rare. I had to get that in. All right. After they had heard the king They went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They gave him expensive stuff. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up. He took the child in the middle of the night, got his mother and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. Verse 16, when Herod realized 
He had been outwitted by the Magi. He was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, so all the outlying areas as well. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Jeremiah predicted a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel, representing the mothers of Israel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they aren't anymore. Let's end there. Father, we just thank you for your word. Help us to see the providence of God today in the coming of Jesus. And we thank you that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And we thank you for your son today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, uh, here we have what can only be described the dark side uh, to the Christmas story. There is a dark side to it. It's about a man, Herod, who tried to destroy Christmas. Sort of the original Grinch, right? He tried to destroy Christmas literally by killing the reason for the season, the Lord Jesus himself. He didn't succeed, thank God. Now you read this story. Now here's this story of Rachel weeping for her children because they aren't anymore. You go, why is that tucked right into the middle of the greatest story ever told? Because it's the dark side to Christmas. Uh, so it seems to me a little bit out of place. I'm not saying that it is. Just at first glance, it's like, why this, this downer of a story right in the middle of this incredible news of God's son coming? Well, God had to have had a reason. And so we receive it. Amen? It's there. Now, I believe one reason it is there is because we need to look at Herod. Because Herod had a dark heart. And I believe that Herod, in this story, represents, although he was a real man for sure, but he represents the whole human race and why Jesus had to come in the first place. Jesus had to come because the whole human race has a dark heart. Now, you may not like to admit that you got a dark heart, or do I, but all of us had hearts that gravitated to sin. Sin darkened all of our hearts. Amen? Give me a little bit of history about King Herod. He was such a likable guy. Not really. He's not the kind of guy you would want to take on vacation with you, I promise. Because Herod was very old, very sick, and near death when Jesus was born. He's been in power for over 40 years at this point, And he's proven to be clever and cruel at the same time. Extremely cruel. He's a dictator. He's a despot. And like all dictators and despots, the only thing they really care about is their political power. And that's all that Herod cared about was his political power. He kept a very tight grip on his power. And he brutally removed anybody that stood in his way or that he thought was getting in his way. Over the years, Herod, King Herod, did some unthinkable things unimaginable. He murdered his brother-in-law 
thinking his brother-in-law was encroaching on his power. He murdered his mother-in-law. He murdered his own wife. He even killed two of his own boys who he suspected were plotting against him. So he was paranoid. He was suspicious, as all dictators are. Somebody's always out to steal my power. Somebody's always out to overthrow me. So it's like the proverb says, the wicked flee when nobody's even chasing them. You ever notice when you're in sin, when you're really messing up, you're thinking people are on to you when they're not? You're thinking police are on to you when they're not? Because you're paranoid, because you know you're doing wrong. And Herod was always paranoid of somebody overthrowing him. So he would resort to cold-blooded murder, no matter who they were. That's why Caesar Augustus said this about him. It's safer to be Herod's sow than his son. History tells us that the murder of his wife drove him crazy. He loved her. If a crazy man can love, he loved his wife. And he made a huge mistake. He knew he made a mistake. He killed her because he thought she was a threat to his power. But he never got over her. He killed her when he was 44. He lived to be 70. But historians will tell you her murder was the beginning of the end for him. It only went downhill from there. So it's a fact that Herod the Great was a great killer. That was his nature. He killed out of spite and did anything he had to to stay in power. Human life meant nothing to him. And it never does mean much to a dictator or a despot. The great historian Josephus called Herod barbaric. Another writer dubbed him the malevolent maniac. Yet another named him the great pervert. Bottom line, uh, killing was what Herod did best. So it wasn't any big deal to Herod thinking that the Christ child that he had heard about from these wise men was a threat to his power, he resorted to what he always did. And he sent out a killing squad to take out all the male boys, two years old and under, if you can imagine that, two years old and under in Bethlehem and the outlying districts. And he did what he did so easily. He killed them. Now, Herod is a perfect example of the human race. Now, you might say, well, Jeff, I'm not anything like that. No, but here's the deal. The Bible says there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. Not killers. I'm not saying murderers, but sinners. Do you you know that I can't say that in a lot of churches in America anymore? If I stand up and say anything about sin, and, and I go into what I'm about to go into, they would kindly not invite me back if not throwing me out halfway through the message. Because we want to hear good things and and, and bless me things. But let me tell you something. Dr. Jesus has diagnosed the human race. And Dr. Jesus has let us know that the human race has a high fever and that we are sick and we need a healer and we need a savior and we need a deliverer. And that's why he came. We all have hearts darkened by sin. That's what the problem with our country is. It's not necessarily a drug problem, an immorality problem, uh, uh, a crime problem. All of those are weeds that come from one root, and the root is sin. 
S-I-N, sin. We're all born with a sinful nature, with a heart that is very early on darkened and stained by sin. That's what the Bible says. And I, and I just got to tell you, that's why the reason for the season ever even came about. That's why Christ came to the earth, because we needed a savior and a forgiver. We needed a sacrifice. Jeremiah the prophet diagnosis. He said the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Desperately wicked. You ever notice that little kids, three and four years old, lie as naturally? We don't raise kids to be bad. We raise them to try to be good because they're naturally bad. We're always trying to get the bad out of them. Right? Everyone has sinned, said Paul. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Isaiah said this about us. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We go our own way. Frank Sinatra had that famous song. I think it's most famous. I did it my way. That's true, Frank. You did. You did it your way. How sad. Because left to ourselves, we'll go our own way. We won't go God's way. That's the problem. That's why Christ came. Because we naturally gravitate from God, not towards him. We walk away from him, not to him. We hide from him, not go right in front of his eyes. No, we, 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 we hide. Adam and Eve were hiding when God came walking in the cool of the garden after they had sinned. They hadn't hidden before, but they were hiding now. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. When Jesus hung on the cross, he took my sin and your sin onto himself. He was blamed for it. He took the judgment for it, the wrath for it. He prayed, paid the price for it so that you and I could be declared the righteousness of God in him. So that our sins could be forgiven. And that's why the little bitty baby Jesus was born in a manger. He didn't come to be the little bitty baby born in a manger. He came on a rescue mission to deliver us from our sin. This is why Jesus came from heaven to be born in Bethlehem, to head off evil at the past, to confront the devil and defeat him, and to redeem our stained souls from the consequences of our sin. This is why the angel told Joseph about Mary's pregnancy. He said, you want to know why your wife-to-be has experienced this immaculate conception, this supernatural conception? He said, I'll tell you why. Here's what I want you to name him, Jesus. And here's what the angel said, because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. That's why he came, to save us from our sins in two ways. To save us from the power of sin, because now that you're saved, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Amen? But also to save us from the consequences of our sins. The consequences, which were hell, eternal darkness, eternal separation from God. So Jesus came to deliver us and bring us from death into life, lost into found, blind into sight, hell into heaven. That's why he came. So Herod's dark heart illustrates the entire human race. I wish I could go on CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN, 
MSLSD, I mean MSNBC, and Fox, and all of them. And I wish I could just look right in the camera one time and say, God so loved the entire world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the entire world. Black, white, yellow, red, brown, rich, poor, happy, sad. He, he, he came for the entire human race. He so loved the entire world and every human in it that he gave his only begotten son that whoever places faith on him would not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. I can't, but I can tell this one. And I just told this one. And I'm going to tell the whole country through radio that God so loved the world. That's the good news. Isn't that good news? God so loved us. I love the word. He so loved us. He gave his only son. He couldn't help it. He loved you so much. See, you think he's against you because you've messed up. Let me tell you something. Your mess up can't destroy God's love for you. He loves you today. He loves me today. I'm so thankful that I'm loved today by him. Are you thankful you're loved by God? God is love. Amen. So we see a dark heart representing the whole human race. And then we see a protecting providence in this story. Now, when I say providence, here's what I mean. That God is in control of every detail in the entire universe. God is in control. That's providence. That's sovereignty. It means that nothing happens that God doesn't either do or allow. Nothing. Jesus said, not even one sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. He's aware of it. Picture a little sparrow, lonely. He's in a forest, deep in the forest. There's no human beings around. There he is. He's lived a little while. He no longer has the strength to forage for food. So he drops from the branch to the ground and he dies. Not a human sees him. Nothing is aware of it. He dies alone in the forest. But Jesus said, God sees it. And God was with him. God was with him. That's how much God cares. You say, well, I'm not that important. You're more important than a sparrow that falls to the ground. So God cares when you hurt. God cares when you're perplexed. God cares when you're confused. God cares when you want to walk away and give up. When you want to put up the white flag, when you don't have strength to put one foot in front of another, when you're struggling against some sin, you think God's against you because of that, but he's not. If God be for us, who can be against us? He's for you. So God's sovereignty allows that little sparrow to go to the ground and die and God is with that little sparrow. So he's with you and he knows what you need before you even ask him. Amen. And we see his protective providence overseeing the entire arrival of Jesus. For instance, Matthew chapter two, verses 12 to 23 mentions four separate protective dreams from God. The first dream warns the wise men, 
Get out of Dodge. Return another way. Don't go back the way you came because Herod's tracking you. Go another way. And God saved the life of the wise men. The second dream warns Joseph and Mary to get up and flee to Egypt in the dead of night. And the protective providence of God protected his only son. The third dream instructs them to return to Israel after Herod's death. And the fourth dream warns them not to go back to Bethlehem. So they instead went to Nazareth. Now here's the cool thing. Three out of four of those dreams were fulfilled prophecies. The first one, verse 15, shows that our Lord's stay in Egypt fulfills Hosea 11, verse 1. Read Hosea 11, 1. Out of Egypt I called my son. The second one in verse 18 connects the weeping of the mothers of Bethlehem with Jeremiah's prophecy in chapter 31, 15. The writer of the account links Jeremiah's prophecy to it. It is Jeremiah's fulfilled prophecy. And he prophesied it centuries before the event. The third one in verse 23 fulfills Judges 13, verse 5, telling us that even the choice of a home in Nazareth was part of God's plan from the beginning, that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. See, Joseph just thought it was his idea. He said, you know, the, the angel told me don't to go to Bethlehem, but the angel didn't tell him to go to Nazareth. He just said, don't go to Bethlehem. But, it, but Joseph said, well, then we'll go to Nazareth. He thought it was just his good idea, but it was actually a God idea disguised as a good idea. Because God was ordering his steps when he did not even know it. And that's providence and that's sovereignty. Because you see, sometimes the steps of a good man, the steps of a good woman are ordered by the Lord when you and I don't even know it. We don't even know it. But if you're the Lord's and you belong to him, he guides you right when you think you've had a good idea. It was a God idea because he's working out his plan for your life and he's going to order your steps. He's going to order your way. He's going to guide you when you don't even know it. The steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Amen. Amen. Herod killed every baby that he could find, but the one baby he really wanted to kill, he didn't get to because of protective providence. See, you can't die until your time comes. Can I say that again? If you're God's child, you can't die until... His time for you comes. You are invincible until his time comes. And don't be arrogant about it, but be humbled by it because God protects his own. Amen. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. This is what the culture would be thinking. If I was preaching this to a lost crowd, I would get this question pretty quick. But Jeff, what about those poor mothers that lost their boys? We can safely assume hundreds were taken. Where was God for them? I would be asked by our culture who always wants to criticize God. Well, why didn't God warn them? He warned Joseph. Why not warn them? Why'd they have to go through that? Why didn't God protect them? Those little boys didn't do anything. In one way, I can't answer that. I'll tell you why. 
I don't fully understand everything God allows, but I've learned this. When I don't understand his hand, I trust his heart. You get me? When I don't understand his hand, I default to trusting his heart. Here's what I can say. God always has a bigger plan than what we can see from where we sit. Because you're very limited and so am I. We see through a glass darkly. We don't know what God's up to all the time. So from where we sit, sometimes we don't understand. But God understands and God is often doing things we just don't get until we're on the other side. Let me take this a little bit further. What I do know is this. I I know this. This I know. He preserved his son that day so that one day his son could die on the cross for our sins. He preserved his son that day so that he would not escape the next time. Let me put it another way. Jesus escaped the first time so that he wouldn't escape the second time so that we could escape for all time. You get that? I'm going to say that again. That's good. You ready? Jesus escaped the first time so that he wouldn't escape the second time so that we would escape for all time. Now listen, the Bible says, in the fullness of time, Jesus was born. And at just the right time, He died for the ungodly. So I don't understand why God didn't intervene for those boys. But I do know this. He preserved his son so that I could live for all time. And the rest I leave in his hands. Amen. Some things in your life and mine, you got to leave with God. I have a file cabinet. I've talked to you about this. I have a file cabinet in my mind, and it's got, a, it's got a little label on it, and it says things I don't understand. It's grown through the years. See, I cannot understand some things, but it doesn't affect my faith. Because how can I understand everything? I've told you about my dogs. Yesterday I had a little thing that happened, and I thought, that'll illustrate. Here's the deal. My dog loves to catch a ball. My dog thinks that I was put on earth to throw the ball and he believes he was put on earth to catch the ball and he doesn't care if I don't want to do it. He'll come up to me with that ball in his mouth and stare at me. And they have a stare that gets to you. I said, quit looking at me. Quit staring at me. I get it. You want to go throw the ball. But there he sits like a frozen statue with the ball in his mouth. Now here's the deal. I said to him, his name's Harley. Harley? He's a Belgian shepherd. Harley, I can't take you out because it's raining. And then I said this, I know you don't understand why I don't open the door. But Harley, you got to know, I know something you don't. Because my mind is beyond yours. And I see things you don't. And I know things you don't know. And it hit me. How many times has God not opened a door because he saw something I didn't? 
right? He saw something I didn't see. And he says, Jeff, you're just going to have to trust me, but I don't understand. Why don't you open that door? I want to go catch the ball. I want to whatever. God said, you don't understand. If I open that door, it'd be a catastrophe for you and me and your floor. So I'm not going to open the door. Harley, you're going to have to trust me. That's why I said it to him. Do you, do you talk to your dog? How many of you say to your dog, now I'm leaving for a little while, but I won't be long. Come on, everybody. Some of you don't have a dog. But I said, Harley, I know you don't understand, buddy. I'm sorry, but I can't open the door. God says to us, when you don't understand my hand, you got to trust my heart. So you have a dark heart, you have God's providence, and then you have a promise fulfilled. And I'll close. Way back in the Garden of Eden, way back, God's plan of salvation was revealed in the form of a prophetic promise. You want to know John 3.16 in the Old Testament? It's Genesis 3.15. It's so easy to remember that. Genesis 3.15 is the Old Testament, John 3.16. Because Genesis 3.15 is the first prophecy in the Bible, and it's the first messianic prophecy in the Bible. And it says, God is talking to the devil after Adam and Eve fell. And they've all blamed each other. Adam, the woman you gave me did it. The woman, the serpent did it. And God divvied out justice to all of them. But here's the deal. Judgment, rather. God said to the devil, from now on, you and the woman will be enemies. As will your offspring and hers. You, Satan, will strike his heel. A nail went through Jesus' heel. But he, Messiah, will crush your head. Kill you. In other words, Satan, I'm going to raise up someone who's going to be your undoing, your nemesis, the end of you, is going to bring a close to your evil and your wickedness. He's going to destroy you. And it was a prophetic promise all the way back in Genesis 3.15. And you, you start with that promise, and the entire Old Testament is pointing to Jesus' death on the cross. The Gospels talk about his death on the cross. And the epistles tell us how to live in light of what he did for us on the cross. But it's a promise fulfilled. Listen, on that first Christmas morn, God's promised plan of salvation was officially launched in a mighty counteroffensive against Satan and evil. And it gloriously succeeded. Satan lost the keys to death, the keys to hell, and the keys to the grave. Amen. And so not only was Jesus born that day, he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for you and me, and he rose from the dead, and so will you because he did. And God's plan spectacularly succeeded. Amen. Can we stand together today? Say with me, the Christmas story contains man's sin-darkened heart, God's protective providence, and his promise fulfilled. I'm so thankful for Jesus. What about you? You thankful for Jesus? 
Amen. Can we go to him and thank him right now? Father, we thank you. We're starting now, Lord, the Christmas season. But Lord, we know the reason for the season. We know it. It's not just for lights and presents. But Lord, we're celebrating a rescue. You rescued us from certain destruction. And we thank you for it today. We praise you for it today. And with your heads bowed, just for a moment, let me talk to you, just you and me. There's no one else here, just you and me. Forget about the person next to you. Let me just talk right to you. Do you know Jesus? Seriously? Personally? Do you know him? I'm not here to point a finger at you or to judge you. I was saved in juvenile home. As a very troubled teenager in my life was a train wreck. And I heard the gospel that you've heard today. Christ died for me. To deliver me and rescue me from sin and its consequences. And to give me a new horizon, a new life a new beginning. And he wants to do the same for you today. And I want to say a prayer. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you need to pray it with me, if you've got a question mark in your mind, if you wonder at all whether or not you truly know him, I would not. Listen, if it was just me, I wouldn't get on I-35. I wouldn't go out of the building until I had the most important question in my whole lifetime answered. I do know Jesus personally. He loves you and he wants to give you a new beginning and only he can do that. So I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. If you need to pray it, I want you to pray it with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. Go ahead, pray it. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Forgive me, Jesus, for my sin. Come into my heart for I place my faith in you. Thank you for hearing me in Jesus' name. Now with your heads bowed, you say, Jeff, I prayed with you. Would you lift up your hand? I'm not going to call you down. I see you. God bless you. And you back there, several. God bless you. God bless you. It's the most important prayer you'll ever pray in your entire life. Those of you that raise your hand, would you look at me for just a minute? Um, I want to meet you. I would love to meet you. I need to meet you because I want you to come down and just say, I prayed with you. You need to tell somebody. And I did as a 16 year old boy in juvenile home. God changed my life. So if you prayed with me, I want you to come down. I'm going to give you something to take home with you. That'll bless you and help you. Uh, Some things that I've written just for you. And uh, I want to encourage you. So please come down as soon as we dismiss. I'm going to stand down here and I'm going to wait for you, okay? How many of you are so thankful that people 
came to know the Lord. Amen. Praise. Amen. 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 And that, that makes my day. So how many of you are glad you came to the house of God today? Isn't God good? God is good. And our prayers are for so many of our people that are down with this flu mess, whatever it is. Uh, our prayers are with them and those that are still traveling. But I'm so glad to see you. Don't forget the popcorn as you leave. I need my prayers to come down. Would you please, prayers? And if you need prayer today, we want to pray with you, whatever it is. We want to agree with you that God will answer you today. And again, if you pray with me to receive Christ, please don't dash out. Come down and let me meet you. Um, don't forget the concert on December 16th. Right, Cindy? 16th, 7.30. Get your ticket today. Go out there today to the Connect Point and get your ticket. Um, and we'll see you then. All right, Father, thank you for your blessing on the people of God. Thank you that Jesus came to die for us. Thank you for the providence of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you Wednesday night. Amen.